Hebrews chapter 1 and the verse 7. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. And then verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Now before we leave this first chapter of Hebrews and proceed to the next chapter, I want to deal with one final theme. It's not a major theme. That undoubtedly is Christ. He, he's the major theme, as he is throughout all the epistle. But in dealing with the theme of Christ, the apostle drops little hints of another great theme. And that is the theme of the ministry of the angels in the service of Christ. And I have to emphasize that bit. Not just the ministry of angels, but the ministry of angels in the service of this great Redeemer that this epistle is about. In showing that the Saviour is greater than angels, the Apostle is, of course, introducing us to angels. He's calling us to consider the angels. And so, in proving that Christ is greater than angels... He introduces the fact that they serve Christ. He must be greater than they because they serve him. They're his ministers. And they not only serve him, but they also serve his people, Christians. And the apostle is bringing that out. They minister for Christ. They're his ministers, but they minister to his people. And the Apostle has been saying that to show as one of the proofs that Christ is greater than they, seeing that they serve him. So the ministry of angels is a rich theme in itself. And we cannot let that pass without some consideration. And it's not only in the first chapter that the Apostle speaks of angels. He speaks of angels quite a bit. In this epistle, he actually uses the word 12 times, angels, always in the plural, and he continues to refer to them in chapter 2, and he also mentions them in chapter 12 and in chapter 13. So he's talking about them at the start of a sermon, and he's talking about them again at the end of a sermon. So it's, a, it's an important topic that the Apostle has felt that ought to be introduced under the inspiration of the Spirit. They form a significant part, not only of this epistle, but they form a significant part of early Christian preaching. The Christian church was always being addressed by the Apostles to look upon the angels as their friends. And this we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because he was the one who was frequently referring to angels throughout his ministry. I was counting in Matthew and there are seven different occasions whenever the Lord Jesus Christ speaks 
about angels. The Christian church has never shied away from the subject of the angelic beings and looking upon them as our friends. Indeed, our Lord even said, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones that believe in me, for I say unto you that in heaven there are angels. Imagine that. There are angels. Not just the Lord's angels, but the Christian's angels. The angels of Christians. There are angels. So the Christian church was always taught this. You're to look upon them as your angels. Your angels. That's a powerful statement that the Lord makes. The angels of believers. Angels then in some way, they belong to the Christian church. And they exist for the well-being of the Christian church. According to the teaching of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And seeing therefore that they are helpers of the church, we must not be ignorant concerning them. We have to know about them. And we ought to be informed concerning them. Now, of course, while we must not shy away from the subject of these bright ministering spirits, neither must we stray into vain speculations, as often has been done in the past. With such a subject, we must never go beyond Scripture. But we have Scripture, and quite a lot of Scripture about angels. And this is one of the chapters where it is so, and I want to bring it before you tonight. With this chapter in Hebrews before us, two things stand out in what the Apostle says about angels. One is briefer and one is larger. There is that which the Apostle asserts negatively concerning the angels. And then there is that which he asserts positively concerning the angels. Negatively, first of all, the Apostle makes a very strong negative. There were things the angels never heard from God. The Apostle is bringing that out. Verse 5, Unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, To which of the angels said he at any time, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And then in verse 13, But to which of the angels said he at any time at all, Sit on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now here are several statements, and the apostle wants us to be very much aware The angels never heard those things. Those were not sentences that were ever spoken to angels, whether considered as a body, as they usually are, angels, or even as individuals. There were words from God that they never heard, never were spoken to them, never were directed to them, but only to his son. Only the son heard. Sit at my right hand. Only the Son heard, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. Only the Son heard, 
I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. None of the angels heard those things because not one of them is the Son of God. There's only one Son of God. Only one divine Son. So the angels are not the only begotten of the Father. Not one of them has this special relationship to the Father that the Son of God has. That's very important. And the Apostle wants us to know that not one of them can do the work of the Son. Not one of them has the seat of the Son. Not one of them shares in the glory of the Son. To none of them the Father ever said, Son. He never addressed one of them as God, as he does in this chapter, his Son. He never addressed one of them as Lord, as he does in this chapter, address his Son. He never addresses one of them as first begotten, as he does his Son in this chapter. So none of them share in the most excellent name that the Son of God has. None of them. Only Christ, only our Lord and Saviour, our blessed Redeemer. So that's a very strong negative to show that as glorious as the angels may be, they're not divine. They're not the Son. They don't have the glory of God. They're not Lord and they're not God. None of them. To none of them at any time. But the Apostle does not rest in the negative assertion. That in itself proves that Christ is better than angels. But he also goes on to say what is positively said about the angels. When you see what they are, when you see who they are, when you see what they do, you also see that they could not be better than Christ. Because their nature is lower than Christ's and their work is lower than Christ's. Yea, they work for Christ. So when you see what they do positively, you're still seeing Christ is greater than the angels. And after all, that's what the apostle has always been trying to prove. But he does give us teaching on the angels, who they are and what they do. If no angel is the Son, if no angel is God and no angel is Lord, then what are they? What are the angels? And the apostle tells us. And that is where now we can consider verse 7, because that's where it begins, where he begins to tell us. Verse 7, what are the angels then? Of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Now this isn't speculation. Whenever we read here about the description of angels, he said it. It's God's teaching on the angels. It's what God is telling us about the angels. Of the angels, he saith, that is God saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Now the quotation is from Psalm 104. And here is something 
fundamental, something foundational. And straight away, we see that it puts them well below the league of Christ. The angels, all they are, ministering spirits, ministers of flame of fire. That's what the angels are. I want you to notice, first of all, they're made. Who maketh his angels' spirits? They're created. They had a beginning. The sun we saw is unmade. The sun we saw, thou Lord, from the beginning. The sun we saw made all things and is before all things. But they were made who maketh his angels' spirits. The Lord created them. They had a beginning. They had a commencement. He, from the beginning, he, in the beginning, made them. They commenced. That verb is very important. Maketh them. Created them. So the apostle is not only saying that they were created. He is, in fact, implying Christ created them. The Lord Jesus made them. He's saying that in actual fact. In Psalm 104, it's clear that it's the same Lord as Psalm 102, Thy Lord in the beginning. They're nearby Psalms. and They're similar in some respects. And the apostle referring to that in verses 10 and 12, that same Lord to whom the heavens are as a garment and who made the foundation of the earth, that same Lord, Christ the Son, made the angels, who maketh his angels. It's the same Lord making them as spread the garment of the universe. The divine Son made the angels. So he's greater than them because he made them spirits. Verse 2 we read, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And the angels are part of those worlds. The angels are in those worlds that he made. So Christ made the angels. So none of them are God. None of them are the only begotten. None of them are the first begotten. Because they were made. They were created. The Lord made them. Consequently, they are his angels. Notice that pronoun. Who maketh his angels. They're his because he made them. They're Christ's. He possesses them. His by creation. His by inheritance. He's inherited all things. And he's made all things. He is their Lord. He is their sovereign. And so they are his ministers. They do what Christ says. They do his bidding. They obey the Lord. And that surely shows that he's greater than angels. We read in Matthew tonight that the Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They're his angels. He's greater than them. He's Lord over them. He possesses them. He commands them. He sends them. And they shall gather 
out of his kingdom all things that offend. They'll gather up all these terrors at his command. Who has gone into heaven, Peter says, concerning the Saviour, and is on the right hand of God, angels being made subject unto him, unto Christ, that man of Calvary, that one who has the nail-pierced hands, the nail-pierced feet, the angels are subject to him, even in his visible humanity. He's our Lord. Oh, a man. And this is true of all the angels. No exceptions are all the same. It's not a case that Christ is an exception. Because there are people who say he's an angel. He's the highest angel. There are those uh, heretics who, who assert that. He's the archangel, they say. He's the greatest angel. As if he is an exception to this body, to this crowd. But that's not where the apostle puts it out. There are no exceptions. Christ is no angel. Do you see there in verse 14? Are they not all ministering spirits? Every angel, every one of them, every angel who was ever made, are all ministering spirits. Every one of them. So Christ is not a ministering spirit. Christ is not an angel. No matter how highly exalted the angels may become, he is not an angel. He's not the highest angel. He belongs in a league by himself with the Godhead. He's the only begotten of the Father, the Son of God. So there's no angel, but they're all his, and they're all men, and they all belong to Christ, and they all are ministering spirits sent forth by him. He therefore is not an angel. Could not be, cannot be. You have that word again in verse 6, this word all. When he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God worship him. Do you see how the apostle is bringing this word all in all the time when he's talking about the angels? He wants us to make sure we never think in our minds Christ is somehow an angel. Because all the angels, every angel that was ever made, are commanded by the Father, worship him. Worship the first begotten. Worship the only Son. Let all the angels worship him. So if he's worshipped by all the angels, he's not an angel. The angels worship the Son, and therefore the Son is greater than the angels. Not only made by him, not only subject to him, but they all have to worship him. Even when he's veiled in flesh. When he's on his mission into the world. When he cometh into the world. All the angels are to worship him. And so every angel bows before Christ. The God man. You know that there are two comings of Christ into the world. The first advent. The second advent. At the first advent, we know that all the angels were present in Bethlehem. There was a multitude of the heavenly hosts. They were praising God. They were giving glory to God. You remember how the angel had said, In Bethlehem there's born this day Christ the Lord. The Lord has been born. And when he gave his message, all the angels, they, they sang together and brought glory to God. They're worshipping at the birth. 
of the first begotten coming into the world. And whenever he comes in again the second time into the world, he will also send his holy angels and they obey him. And he'll come on his throne of glory and the angels will be accompanying him. Yea, they will be carrying him in glory, worshipping their Lord as they serve him. So all the angels worship Christ. But look at verse 7 again, please. Of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Now notice not only that they are created, but consider what the Lord made them. And there are four things here that tell us what the Lord made them. First of all, he made them angels. And then he made them spirits. And then he made them his own ministers. And then fourthly it says, he made them a flame of fire. So there are four things here that we're told about these holy beings, our dear friends, who help us and who serve us in the kingdom. God calls them angels. He made them angels. That's the word that is used. Now, what does that suggest that they are called angels? Well, you know that this word is a Greek word, angelos, angel. It's not a name that describes so much their nature. We'll come to their nature in a little moment, God willing, if we have the time. But this describes their office. They're angels. As, as far as their office and mission is concerned, angels. Now the word angels, it occurs about 200 times in the New Testament. Usually our translators translate it angel. Sometimes they translate it messenger. For example, John the Baptist was called the angel, the messenger of God, the one who was raised up by God, the one who was sent by God on an errand, and his errand was to bring a message. And then you'll remember that James, talking about the spies who came to Rahab, James called those messengers angels. Those spies were called angels because, you see, they were sent. They were sent on a special errand. They were sent on a special mission to gather intelligence, to gather information. They were messengers in that sense. So angels are ones who are sent on errands. To do the messages of God. They bring things from God to people. Sometimes it might be literally a message, a word. But not always. There are other ways of getting messages from God without words. Anything they bring to us is a message from God. Even if it's not about words. They bring other things as well. But sometimes it is a word in the Bible that we, we, we read that they brought. But they can deliver judgments. They can deliver plagues. They can deliver diseases. Things like that. You remember the plagues on Egypt? They were messages. All of those plagues. They were brought by the messengers of God. They were brought by the angels. And every one of those plagues was a message. It wasn't a message for one to hear about. It wasn't a message that Egypt liked. But it was a message. 
And the angels still bring judgments. The angels still bring plagues. The angels still bring diseases upon the earth. And their judgments and messages from God. But they're not messages the world likes to receive. And the word is, as I say, in the plural. Because they are angels. Now, whenever God made man, the Bible says God made man. It doesn't say God made men. It says God made man, male and female. But when it comes to angels, it doesn't say God made angel and male and female because there are no sexual distinctions among angels. They're not a race. They don't generate. There's no such a thing as baby angels. When God made angels, he made angels. Every one of them individual. Every one of them a distinct personality. Every one of them created at the same time. He made them angels. They're not a race, but they are individual and personal. Created individually. And so while it seems that they were all made at the same time, they were not all made the same. Every one of them is different. Every one of them is distinct. Every one of them has different gifts and different qualities. I suppose we could even say different personalities. They're all different. And as well as that, they have different ranks, different in dignity, different in power, differences in abilities and gifts that God has given to them all. Oh, they're so unique, so special so equipped for their callings and their different areas in the universe that they engage in, how wonderfully and mightily God has made them to be his ministers. They're all glorious, but the glory of one differs from the glory of another. We read of archangels. Michael was one such. Gabriel was one as well. The Bible speaks of cherubim and seraphim, principalities and powers. There are different ranks amongst them. They all have different names, though they're all glorious. One name excelleth another, perhaps amongst them all, but none of them excelleth the name above all other names. The name of Jesus Christ. That's the only name that excelleth over all. The name high over all. God himself, the word made flesh, who can only be to us the messenger of the covenant of redemption. That's the divine son himself. So he's a messenger even as the second person of the Godhead. But he is not an angel the way that these other angels are. He maketh his angels spirits. That's something else the apostle is telling us about them in verse 14 also. Are they not all ministering spirits? This tells us about their nature. If the word angel tells us about their work and what they do and why they were created, the word spirit tells us of their essence, of their nature. Now it's clear from this chapter when the apostle is writing that angels are higher than men. This is why he's had to set forth that they're not higher than Christ, because Christ is a man, and so he has to guard the the, the supremacy of Christ because of his humanity, and he does do that. But he is implying that 
as far as humanity is concerned, men are less than angels. You see, men have been made too. But we've been made a little lower than the angels congregation. And one of the ways in which this is seen that we have been made lower than the angels is in the fact that we are limited to a body. We're limited to a body. We're cumbersome. We're slow. We're burdened down. We're affected by gravity. We have a spirit, but it is joined to a material body. And because it's joined to a material body, we're less than angels. They're spirits. We are earthbound. We're slow. We're material. We're subject to matter. And we're subject to other material. And other material slows us down and hampers us and affects us. But angels are spirits. And they don't have bodies. That's the thing. Angels are not bound the way we are. And this is why the angels can't be seen. They're spirits. They're in the world. Some are probably even in church here tonight occupying these pews. I have no doubt there are angels present. But we don't see them because they're spirits. They're invisible. They don't manifest themselves. Now the word spirit is sometimes translated wind in scripture. And when we think of spirit we think of wind. That's the the analogy that comes to our mind. Uh, The wind is is powerful. The effects of the wind are seen. But but the wind is never seen. The wind is like, like a spirit. Invisible. It's breath, but it's, it's felt at times, but it's never seen. And now, we do know that in the Bible, angels were on occasion seen. There is some mystery here about that. But as spirits, they render themselves normally invisible in the material world. How they are able to materialize and appear visible, we're not sure how they do that. They can do that but they are rendering themselves normally invisible because they are spirits, winds. And that's another thing that stands out about this word spirits, uh, something of their essence. Whenever we think of angels, they have motion, they have movement because they're spirits. They have movement beyond anything that we can comprehend. They're not subject to gravitation. Because they don't have material bodies. That means they can move very fast. Lightning fast. We can't comprehend this movement, this motion. Invisible, but powerful and fast moving. Not burdened, not heavy laden, not affected, as I say, by matter. The wind is swift and mighty. And as I say, we have to apply that to the angels. And whenever they move Not only is it fast, but I tell you this, it's devastatingly fast, the Bible teaches us. They are an army that is unstoppable. Can't be stopped by any material. Can't be stopped by any of the armies of this world. Can you stop the wind? Can you slow the progress of the wind? Can you hamper the wind? No. You remember an angel of the Lord went out one night in the camp of the Assyrians... And he smote 
a hundred and four score and five thousand. A hundred and eighty-five thousand. He just moved down that night and wiped them all out. One evening's work. Imagine how fast it takes to get around 185,000 men. It'd take you quite a few days if you were doing it in a body. But they just, and it's over. Do you remember Egypt? The night of the slain of the firstborn. They had to be very careful when the angels moved that night. Just the firstborn in every house. That took a lot of time. No, it didn't. Not for the angels. They just sweep over. And it's done. And the night, the cry goes up. The whole land is screaming and wailing because the, the angels have smitten all the firstborn. As quick as that. As swift as that. And so they are angels that excel in strength. They are terrible when they carry out God's message. And they do it without delay. They run for God. On these errands. Remember whenever Daniel was praying. He got down on his knees. He was praying. The time of the evening sacrifice. You read his prayer there in chapter 9 of his book Daniel. And he says. Gabriel came. And he said. I have been caused to fly swiftly. And he touched me about the time of the offering of the evening oblation. Daniel hadn't even got up off his knees yet. And here's this angel, straight from heaven, to be by his side. And he said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee. You got here quick, Gabriel. Yes, of course. How far is heaven away? Well, if you're talking about material and gravitation and getting there, it'd be a quite long way away. But you see, for the angels, just a moment. Heaven's not that far from earth when it comes to angelic transport. They're swift. While he was praying, he arrived. And I tell you this, congregation, no angel has ever arrived too late. No angel was ever late for God. No angel was ever late for the Christian church. No angel was ever late for a Christian. If God sent him to that Christian, never late. Swift to obey, fast on their wings, never too late. Maybe you're walking and someone faints and you you just catch them in time because you're there. Angels can be quick to minister to saints. Even if they're not immediately in that space, they might be in heaven. But if God sends them, they'll be there in time to catch you. They're not omnipresent. I don't want you to have that idea. The Bible doesn't say that. But they can get to places quick. Really, heaven and earth isn't that distant when it comes to angelic visitations. Now, whenever you think how mighty these angels of the Lord are, you will begin to appreciate how wise it is to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if these are his friends, his ministers, we wouldn't want them to be against us. We wouldn't want to face 
the wrath and judgment in the hands of angels. How wise it would be to love the Lord Jesus and to serve the Lord Jesus and to have the angels as our friends on our side. And if you love the Lord, these glorious, powerful beings will be your friends. And they'll help you. They truly will help you. They do the Lord's errands of kindness to you so often. They're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation. They encamp around the, the God-fearing. They're all a fire, a flaming fire around the saints. He gives his angels charge concerning his people. Lest at any time they dash their foot against the stones. They're very caring for us. And so it would be very foolish. Even as we were saying there on Wednesday night about these who made war with the Lamb. You know, it was very foolish to make war with the Lamb. It's blind folly to reject Christ and to resist the Saviour. Because those messengers are his messengers of judgment. They're his army. He's the Lord of hosts. And the angels are his army. Who would want to make war with the Lamb when only you just think about his angels? Would you not rather have them as your friends? Your angel friends? Than your judges and tormentors? We read there, the Son of Man will send forth his angels. All them that offend, he gather them out, these angels, them which do iniquity. The angels know them, and the angels will gather them out at the end. There'll be a big furnace of fire. And the angels will throw them into the furnace of fire. And they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what it's going to be at the end of the world, the Lord Jesus says. The angels will come forth. And they'll sever the wicked from among the righteous. And they'll cast them into the furnace of fire. Better to have them as your friends. To carry you into the presence of Christ than to cast you into the fiery furnace of damnation. And the only way the angels can be our friends is not by talking to them and communing with them and praying to them, because we can't do that. They become our friends when we have our union with Jesus Christ. When he becomes our friend, when he becomes our Lord, because he is their Lord too, we are in one big family and they are our friends. So believe in the Lord Jesus. Love the Lord Jesus and the angels will help you and guard you. And at that day, whenever we hardly know what's happening, they'll bring us into the presence of the Lamb safely. And to the Lamb be all the glory.